God Creates Dinosaurs. We've got the Sad Boys Book Club here. God Kills Dinosaurs. It's a Unix system. I know this. God Creates Man. Dusty and Daniel were so preoccupied with whether or not they could. Man Creates Podcasts. I'm simply saying that because life uh, finds a way. They didn't stop to think of they should. God Kills Man. You know, I had this Jurassic Park game when I was a kid for the computer. Um, I always played as Rex Raptor, because who would not pick Rex Raptor? That's such a cool name, especially for a six-year-old. Um, and it was like, it was basically just mini-games, and I don't know, I, 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 it, was, uh, it was a silly computer game for kids. And this doesn't have anything to do with anything other than it's Jurassic Park-related. But yeah, I just got reminded of that. Grant hates computers. I played a Jurassic Park computer game when I was a kid. I'm probably I you know what? I'm pretty confident that I have the the knowledge and skills that I could have outgranted Grant. They they still make Jurassic Park games. There's like there's one that just that's come out in the last couple of years. Um, there's also the the tell, Telltale games. You, you know what? You should play the Telltale game and see how you do in that. See if you you are the true uh, Alan Grant. I've always wanted to play that. I have a friend that owns it, and I'm pretty sure I have access to his account so I could play it. Um, I always wanted to play that. It looked fun. I heard it was very good. Maybe I will one day. I don't know. Maybe that they, that could be a, a Sad Boy special episode. Yeah. Stand aside, you cowboy boots and cowboy hat wearing strong man who digs up dinosaurs for a living and has survived death-defying things and is about to fight three raptors single-handedly i've got this me this nerdy guy who has never been in a fist fight in his life i will do it better well we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the fight but I, I i have some thoughts about grant or about the fight about grant ah yes like you have thoughts right now or you want to just like when the time comes when the time comes okay uh so they make it upstairs and uh they the kids are trying to escape the raptors grant's following the noise of the raptors and eventually they collide they woo we made it uh so now there's three raptors staring them down and grant's like all right you kids get into the control center Gennaro, you get with them you start doing the power shit i don't know i got i'm gonna take care of these raptors i got a plan so they, they, they slide into the room. They're locked in. There's no other entrances. So they're, for all intents and purposes, safe. Raptors are closing in on, on Grant. He dips into the egg room. And we get Grant versus the Velociraptors. It's 3v1. Finally, an even match. <laughs> so I, I've alluded to this, I think, possibly in every episode. At the very least in the first one and maybe the last one. This is one of my favorite parts of the book. I love it. It's great. It's, it's, I think in, in the movie, there's not a lot of actual offensive against the Raptors. It's more so just trying to, to outsmart them enough to, to move on to the next room until the T-Rex eventually comes in and is like, rawr, I'm a T-Rex. Ooh, I'm eating Raptors. And, ooh, dun, 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 you know, all that fun stuff and. You know, they, they have their little victory dance. They're flying. The, the pterodactyls are there for some reason flying alongside the helicopters. Everything's all fine and good. 
All good times. Um, so yeah, we don't get an actual, actual like, fight, fight. Don't drop my guitar. That's a bad idea. Um, a fight, fight with the Raptors, and we get it in the book, and it's so good. I love it. Um, so yeah, Grant's like, I gotta, I gotta figure this shit out. So he theorized. I think I don't remember. Do you do you remember if he actually talks about this? At like the very beginning when they're in like Montana about how he theorized about raptors eating the eggs of other dinosaurs? Yes. Okay. He, did, he did say that. Okay. So this is a reincorporation of that. He gets... there. They have the... Also earlier in the book, Wu was talking about this 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 toxin that they had in the lab when they were going through the, their tour of the lab. So he gets the toxin and he starts injecting it into the eggs and rolling them towards the raptors as they're looking for him in the hatchery. The first one doesn't really do much. second one doesn't really do much. The raptors aren't really interested in it. So the third one, he's like, all right, got to really make them try and get this. And he just slings it. And the raptor's like, what's that? And he chases after it, snaps onto it, bam, bam, consuming, licking its chops, being like, mm, yummy, biological fluids. And then... <laughs> I love this. He like he like bends over to kind of like check the progress of the raptor, and their eyes meet, and it's just like, oh, it's <laughs> you. So it charges him, and it dies. <laughs> it just falls. Well, it doesn't die yet, but it falls over. the The poison is finally. Uh, the plan is the the the, the plan is work. The the raptor is convulsing. It's it's making death noises. It's foaming at the mouth. The other two raptors are like, dude, what? bro you're drunk man i told you like you you gotta wait until f the afternoon to start drinking man what are you doing saying what you're doing and so it, it comes over and it, it, I, I guess this raptor just really is hungry and just doesn't care so it takes a bite at the uh the dying raptor which kind of snaps it out of its death revelry and it bites it the other one in the neck and grant's like sweet <laughs> twofer but then the other double raptor, kill yeah, basically but then the other raptor's like you know no slaps it away like cuts it, it just slices its 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 guts open and maybe this is the same one that ate woo earlier i don't know maybe a reoccurring pattern here <laughs> uh so you know friendly fire is on for the raptors <laughs> so classic mistake on the raptors queuing up in a friendly fire lobby <laughs> yeah right uh I'm pretty confident that this raptor might be named Caboose. <laughs> so Grant injects another egg, slings it down, and the the, the uh, Caboose here uh, just laps it straight up. Wham, bam. Dead. Woo. Now it's a 1v1. I'm starting to think that uh, the raptors uh, picked the wrong fight. So he the 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 second raptor as it was dying it knocked over the table all the eggs have scattered he's like well there goes that plan so you now he's got you got to think of something so with one raptor left and one syringe of poison left got to get a little got a little bit of ingenuity going on here so Ellie's trying to raise him on on the on the radio he's like hey hey keep talking talk 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 just 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 talk and he just slides the the walkie-talkie the radio towards the raptor and she eventually starts talking like calling out to him like hey uh what what uh, can you hear me can you hear me and it distracts the raptor enough 
to where its tail comes into his range and he just reaches up and just injects this the straight into the vein boom yay raptor dead no kidding fooled you what you thought it was gonna be this easy nope raptor turns and it starts attacking grant and he's like rolling out of the way he's doing crazy spin moves and it's just dodging it but you know that raptor be poisoned uh, slashes him in the back and then eventually he's up against the wall and he's like this is it and it's rearing up and it leans back and then falls back and dies Woo. <laughs> get eld get ratioed 3v1 more like 1v dead stupid yeah, raptors he, uh, yeah uh Dr. Grant really clutches up. He gets he gets the team wipe here. Yeah. We should have called these raptors Larry Curly and Mo cuz those are some fucking stooges. <laughs> yeah, they they I'll be uh, here all week. Big big L, massive L for team raptor here. Um you know and and I just got to say again feel weird about the way obviously again couldn't really be avoided but man uh, Crichton does not spare the uh does not spare the um i don't know i get what what i'm trying to say is Crichton gets the, the with the way that these raptors die is pretty bad it's 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 about as bad or worse than anybody else dies in the entire in the entire book and um, uh, yeah, that's life, man. Life doesn't care if you're a Velociraptor or a human or a T-Rex. When you die, you die. I guess, but like, there's a difference between like like a nor like a normal death and like poisoning death because like they're foaming at the mouth and it's like you gotta imagine that's that's a pretty grim way to go. Yeah, but at the same time, it's it's it's. You know, we, we've been seeing the brutality of the dinosaurs and it's almost been seen as this this um, flip of the food chain to where it's we now have these creatures that are far superior to us but when you see the what happens when these dinosaurs are going up against somebody that actually is capable of finding a way of outwitting and not necessarily overpowering, but dealing with them, you see that, well, it may have been brutal the way that they that they kill, but they can be killed just as brutally. It's it's honestly it's it's a nice kind of like I, I don't even say this as a joke. It's almost a kind of poetry to the death that they inflict and the death that's inflicted on them. That's true. They are it's, like a, it's very much a dinosaur equivalent of you reap what you sow. That's true, but the dinosaurs are not... They, they can't really make the moral judgment. It, there, there's not really a moral judgment to the, the raptors trying to eat you, though. Not that there necessarily is for the humans, either, but it's the the whole reap... I don't know. It's just the reap what you sow thing doesn't really, to my mind, fit, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it does. It's just, But the, the raptors... You're, you're kind of hitting on something, though, like this idea of the brutality of the the dinosaur versus the the brutality of man uh especially as we get to the end here i don't want to i don't want to uh 
to to speak out of turn here, but there's there's a couple of incidents that show both the brutality of the the raptors and the brutality of man, or not the raptors, but of dinosaurs, but the, and the brutality of man. Yeah. Uh, but to to wrap up this um this climax of sorts. Uh, so now with the the threat ostensibly dealt with, with the exception of the two raptors who, if you remember, have been gnawing through the bars to try and get at Malcolm and Harding and and Hammond and all them, uh, they need the power on now. And Tim has been, in the meantime, he's just been clicking on things and going through menus, and Lex is being Lex and not making it any easier. He's constructing additional pylons. Yeah, basically. Uh... I don't want to go into the the nitty gritty of it. it. It's basically a lot of just trial and error. Eventually, Tim just kind of presses through enough buttons, and with a little bit of help from Gennaro, who who knows just about as much as Tim, uh, they get the power back on. And he it asks them, "Where do you want to direct the power?" And it's like the safari, the lodge, the maintenance, or other. There's a couple of options, and he's like hearing on the radio them being like, "Oh my God, they're coming! The Raptors are coming!" Ah! And he's like, "Hmm, which one should I choose?" I guess the lodge. He chooses the lodge, and boom, we're having we're having fried raptor for dinner tonight, boys. Yeah. Yeah, the raptors get sizzled up real good here. Yeah, and I I love how like Muldoon and all of them are like, woo, yeah, they're like just like cheering, just like shouting up, just you know, we don't we don't get we never get one thing. It's one of the most iconic lines from the movie, but it leads to one of the biggest travesties of the movie is we never get the line, clever girl, right before Muldoon gets killed. Because I'm about to lay a, lay a, a fat beat on this, on this little track here. Muldoon's still alive, boys. <laughs> he made it. Yeah. Yeah, there's, that, that was one thing that um, surprised me the first time we, I, I got through this, or I, I listened to the audiobook, you know? Yeah. There are there are two big fates that uh, shocked me, uh, going through it the first time that I'm very happy with in the book. Uh, we'll get into the second one later. But since Muldoon is for all intents and purposes done with the story, uh, he has a couple more appearances and he says a few lines of dialogue. It's basically just kind of flavor at this point. Muldoon's story is basically done. Ellie Sattler's story is basically done. We'll say Ian Malcolm's story is basically done. It's not. There's like a very very small. And it's only in hindsight can we say he has a a death fake out, but at the time that wasn't the case. We'll get into that more in a little bit. Um, but like their stories are basically done for all intents and purposes, with one little minor exception. Tim and Lex's stories are done. All that's really left for the, in terms of like characters doing things is uh, no. I'm sorry, Ellie's story isn't done. I lied. I'm sorry. I take that back. Um, Grant, Ellie, Gennaro, and Hammond are, like, the only major characters that have some real plot left going for them. Uh, I take back what I said about Ellie. Uh, also, I, Harding exists. Remember Harding? He's there. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, he basically only just shows up at the very end from this point on, though. Yeah. So, they've, they've fixed the problem. All they needed to do was have the power back on and everything would be fine. The raptors are... They're sizzed up. Dead? Um, let's think about... Let's, let's do some, uh... Uh, uh, was it, what, what was it, um, two plus two equals four quick maths. Um, <laughs> so there was the raptor that got exploded by, by Muldoon. That's one. 
there's the two raptors that were on the ceiling that got electrocuted at the end. That's three. The three raptors killed that? by... Yep. Uh, three raptors killed by Grant. That's six. Um, the one that's locked in the freezer, that's seven. Am I missing something, or is there one raptor that's still alive? Because there's eight raptors. That, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. That, that, that's only seven of the eight raptors accounted for. Maybe Gennaro did kill the raptor down there? Or at least injured it enough to where it was essentially out of commission for the rest of the novel for all intents and purposes? Or maybe he just got bored and let him go. <laughs> it was uh, just like, I'm not feeling this one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. He's like, way too much uh, hair gel on this guy. He's going to taste really weird. I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling this. Maybe Gennaro like, knocked it out or something. Or maybe when it flung Gennaro away and he got away, it was like searching for him. And it finally makes its way out of the, uh, out of the, the, the maintenance area. And it's like, whew, man. Got a little turned around, guys, but don't worry. I'm coming. I'm coming. And he looks up and he sees uh, he sees in the window three of his brethren getting methodically murdered by one man. And then he looks over to the other side and he sees two of his other brothers. They're they're all females. I'm sorry, sisters. Excuse me. But they do put a lot of uh, masculine uh and i think they even call some of the raptors well they call the t-rexes he but i think they call some of the raptors he as well so excuse me they're female i apologize um she comes out she sees her sisters being methodically taken out by one man she looks over and she sees her two other sisters being electrocuted just brutally and they're like ah! just you know they're popping like popcorn and she's getting showered in in like little rainy popcorny raptor bits and she's like huh might want to not be a part of that and just turns around and it's like fuck it i'm gonna go kill a hadrosaur or something i don't know <laughs> runs off this ain't worth it that raptor's name blue <laughs> it all connects it, it's honestly honestly the smartest raptor on uh, in the book yeah she's like fuck it i'm going to the mushroom kingdom <laughs> so Threat averted, crisis averted, threat level, threat level noon. Problem solved. Uh, so they have the power on, and you know it's like, oh yeah, we the, the boat, the boat, the boat. So they they finally hail the boat, and Tim's trying to talk to the guy, and the guy's like, what is this, some sort of prank call? And Gennaro gets the phone. We don't have time for this, kid. Get out of here. We're about to make landfall. We are busy people. So Gennaro takes the phone, and Tim pulls up the name of the captain, and he basically pulls some bullshit out of his ass, and he's just like, oh, under the under the, the U.S. Maritime Uniform, or the Uniform Maritime Act, the Section 509 of the, the code, uh, I'm going to have your badge on my desk if you don't turn your ass around right now, sir. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. We're turning around now. <laughs> and so with, like, feet, like hundreds of feet away from land, they're like, uh, oops, and just turn around and start heading back. Which my first thought to that would be, like, do you have enough fuel to do that? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe. But it <laughs> seems like a of an actual risk there. Yeah. 
I guess he did, but he didn't really protest, so I guess they had enough. Yeah, and honestly, I don't like throwing criticism at the book, but I'm going to right now. Uh, this subplot was pointless. They see the raptor babies in the boat, and they're like, oh shit, there's raptor babies. And it gives them, I guess, the sense of urgency of time that they have to get back to the lodge outside of you know the urgency of needing to get back to the lodge period because they're in the middle of a park full of dinosaurs that are hunting them down uh but like how that plot point wraps up is they're just like hey boat turn around the guy's like no and Gennaro's like yes and he's like okay so he turns around and then they go and find the raptors and kill him and that's that they're like oh wow look there's juvenile raptors on the ship pow pow that solves that i guess like it 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 I, I don't know. It, it feels like a, a very superf superfluous plot point to add, like, a sense of tension in the time needed for Grant and the kids to get back when there really didn't need to be one in the first place. Because, like, uh, they needed to get I back to the lodge it. either way. I don't know. I didn't mind it. It does. It works. It worked for what it needed to, is which is to create a, a reason for Grant and the kids to not just, like, bunker down and hide somewhere you know and for for things to blow over however Which, if they would have bunkered down they would have been more successful anyways because they would have been able to catch them with like a phone or a radio or something or the motion sensor camera sooner and told them right out like before it would have even the, the auxiliary power would have went out or anything like they, if they would have bunkered down they would have been more successful yeah, but like they don't know that necessarily. They no. they that they're so they're they're working with imperfect information. They just know that oh shoot, the raptors are gonna make it to the mainland and and you know spread all over the all over Central America and all that. So that that creates a situation attention why for why uh, Grant needs to take these kids through all this crazy stuff and. He does why they don't just like stay at the the Triceratops paddock or somewhere around there, you know. There's something I want to say about this, and I'll wait until the end because it, I'll need to wait until the end to talk about this. But I, I it's one of those like it, it doesn't hurt the book by being in it, but I, I also feel like the book would have been not really any different if it wasn't in it. It's just it's a plot point that's just kind of there just to be there that gets wrapped up really neatly without there really being any real tension outside of the tension that has been created for I, it. I, and I, I, I also kind of like it as a moment for Gennaro, you know, as part of his his redemption, you know, his, his using his powers for good, as it were, you know. Sure. So I, I, like, I like it for both of those perspectives. I, I like it because it gives, like, an, an interesting, like, ticking clock uh nature to the um to the the story and, and it allows it to kind of like build tension that way and to kind of like orient us in time uh a little bit a little bit easier and then you know also you you kind of get the, the the capstone moment for the uh the Gennaro redemption arc and like I said, I don't think it hurts the story being in it, but I also feel like it's something you could have removed completely and nothing wholeheartedly would have changed. But 
I, I it's just it's a it's a nit nitpick I have I guess, but nothing too major. Just something that it just kind of was like, uh, all right, whatever. So now they're they're kind of in the damage control phase. Like they they've 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 solved the crisis. Uh, all imminent danger is gone. Uh, so now it's it's kind of the cleanup process. We now have to Hammond. Jesus Christ, man, John Hammond. What what more can you even say about him? Like Jesus, he's such a terrible character. He's he's a terrible person. Right? He's he's a great character. He's a terrible person. Um, he's just having his inner monologue. You know, I mentioned earlier. Oh, we, we'll get to levels of cope. Here we go. He's sitting there thinking to himself as he's heading back to his bungalow. He's like, oh, problem solved. Nothing really. Ah, we lost some people, but you know what? It's just part of the experience. We'll just go. We'll adapt and we'll. we'll We'll do better next time, you know. And also, like, they mostly sucked, and that's why they died. Yeah, that's that's kind of where he just starts going through the list of named characters that have died so far. And he's just like that Ed Regis guy sucked, didn't need him. What did he know? That Arnold guy sucked, didn't need him. What did he know? That Wu guy sucked, didn't need him. What do we, what did he know? Isla Nublar off the coast of Costa Rica sucked. Didn't need it. What did it know? I'm gonna go find my own new island, and I'm gonna make it all again. I've got my embryos that are stored off in that offshore location, so I'll get someone that has vision. That's what it is. They liked vision, and I feel like that might apply to Arnold and Regis, but definitely does not apply to Wu. But whatever. Hammond's an idiot. Can, can I? Can I just throw this out here? It it gave me very like late uh, end of Donald Trump's uh, presidential term vibes. Like, he's talking about all the pe these people that he hired, that he, you know, obviously he handpicked, and were, was like, oh, these are the best guys for the job, and now here he is, like, at the end of everything, you know, every, uh, the, 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 the immense failure, you know, has, has everything has collapsed around him, and, and he's just grousing about how terrible those guys are, without, like, an ounce of self-reflection of, like, huh, what is the common denominator here? Even let, let's take let's say they are all bad, but what's the common denominator? He hired them, you know. It's just showing like an astonishing lack of uh, like uh, self reflection, you know. Self yeah, self reflection, you know. Yeah. So Hammond's he's just he's so up his own ass, and it's this guy sucks so much. Like Jesus Christ, he's he he even gets a little racist with it. But he's like, oh these these. These Costa Rican workers, oh, they're they they're lazy. They they don't they don't really work. They're not hard work. I don't need them. I don't uh, no. And oh god, if if ever we needed some just desserts in this novel, least surprising uh, racist character. Um, if we're passing out awards, um, he gets the the just desserts award, and he also gets the like least surprising racist award. Yeah, John Hammond is just terrible. He's, he sucks. I hate him. So, he hears uh, the loud roar of a Tyrannosaurus, and it scares the shit out of him. And I just love the uh, I love the idea of the 76-year-old man trying to run away from the sound of a T-Rex. And he ends up falling down this hill and breaking his ankle. And uh, <laughs> I love how after this happens, we get a cutaway to, to Tim and Lex in the control room and she's like oh that's neat can you make it roar louder he's like yeah and she's like i want to try i want to try and it's like the kids just did this and 
Hammond, he hears the roar again, but it sounds odd. Then he hears the kids over the intercom, and he's like, those damn kids. And once again, he's back to the similar kind of mindset. Oh, I don't even know why I bring them. Nobody wanted them here. Oh, I just thought those... Gennaro was supposed to look at those kids and be like, yeah, I won't shut down the park, but he's going to try and shut down the park anyways. Oh, they're stupid. I don't need them. You know, just find another thing to bitch about. And so, you know, he's, he's trying to work his way up the hill. And what happens but some copies come and he's just like oh no uh they only attack wounded or dying things and he's like oh that oh no that uh that won't be me and before before i go further i you, you mentioned this earlier um i i feel like a really good analogy for john hammond at this point in time is the old is a, this is basically a meme at this point not ba- this is a meme uh that simpsons bit with principal skinner where he's like um <laughs> the the have i have i have i out uh have i have i lost the point of the times have i have i am i no longer like i don't remember what the actual line is i'm sorry basically have i no longer am i still uh, out of touch yeah no it's the kids that are wrong exactly that's basically what hammond's doing he's so out of touch but he's blaming everyone but himself so yeah he's basically principal skinner uh i'm sorry i fumbled that so hard so thank you for picking up the ball and running with it I first, for some reason, I thought you were gonna talk about the 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 steamed hams thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know uh, how steamed hams hams would come into Jurassic Park at this point, but well, I mean, maybe maybe steamed Velociraptor hams. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's trying to climb up the compies of come, and he's like, "Oh God, I'm 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 crippled right now, and I'm essentially a prime thing." But he's like, "No, it won't be me." So he's trying to fight back, but. It ends up not being any good, so then he gets bit by a couple of compies, and he's think he remembers how it's it, how he heard that you, there's a bit of euphoria that comes from their toxin that kind of paralyzes them but makes them happy, and I, I love it. He's just sitting there and he's like, you know what? It's fine. I don't care. Oh, that compie's biting into my neck and eating me. Whatever. And John Hammond dies, eaten by compies. Like a little baby. Yeah, that's uh, actually like babies, as we see from the early part of the book. Um, wow, congratulations, Daniel. You picked up what I was laying down. Oh, okay. Well, it's a, see, it's a, double, it's a double thing, because the babies got eaten at the beginning of the book, and John Hammond, as I've said in the past, acts like a little baby. It's like poetry. It rhymes. It's like an ogre. It's got onions. But yeah, I, I, I that that was I, I it's um, with Hammond dying. I will say, at least you know, it's unfortunate in the sense that he he's he's you know passing away all all peacefully. Meanwhile, all of the people that are and, and creatures, I, I'm throw out, throw that out there too. Um, everybody else who has died as a result of his his um, manifest excuse me, manifold terrible decisions have died uh, in pain and fear. And he's just kind of like, he's just kind of nodding off as the, as the uh, compies start to, to eat him. You know, honestly, I would argue that he has one of the more, not brutal, obviously not. If I, if we wanted to go for like most brutal death in the book, I'd say that goes to either Nedry or Wu. But Definitely, well, yeah. Probably Nedry, I was, honestly. 
I was going to say definitely Wu until I, I thought about it again. I was like, mm, probably Nedry, probably Nedry. I would lean more towards Nedry, but it definitely would be between one of those two. Um, but I, I do think that Hammond's death has a more innate kind of terror to it, that he is essentially watching himself be eaten, and he can't do anything about it, and especially since it's against the smallest dinosaurs in the park, the weakest dinosaurs in the park, if you really want to go there. And it's just, it's so fitting. You have all these other characters that are victims of Hammond's arrogance, and they're dying in these brutal ways, and you have the big old mastermind, the whole dickhead behind the curtain, and he gets killed by compies. He gets killed the same way that babies got killed. And it's like, yeah, it's not as brutal. No, it's 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 not. It's still brutal in its own way. It's basically vultures picking at his corpse. But it's so fitting for his character to die like a baby. To be as weak as a baby. To be as defenseless as those babies in Costa Rica. And die... It's it's don't get me wrong the baby thing is absolutely tragic and their blood is on his hands and I'm not trying to say that I'm not trying to paint the baby's deaths as anything less than tragic but the fact that Hammond is when it comes down to it his death is no more than what happened to literal infants he doesn't deserve the brutal visceral deaths that he could have gotten from the other animals. It's he deserves to die pathetically. And that's how he dies. Well, oh. You know that that's actually a very interesting perspective on that. Yeah, John Hammond sucks ass and he died sucking ass. <laughs> and not in the good way. No. But yeah, uh, well, you know, you might be right. There is there is a certain, um, you know, we we've been saying that there's not there's you know, Crichton is maybe not the most literary of of authors that we've done, but the, what you what you've pointed out there is a very interesting thing. And actually, uh, yeah, you, you I think you're onto something with that. I think that was actually very an interesting uh, observation. And you know what makes it even funnier? What? If you want to kind of pull back and try and throw some, like, needless, quote-unquote, blame onto it, John Hammond is, in a roundabout way, technically, but probably technically not, killed by Tim and Lex. <laughs> yeah, in an, in an inadvertent way, very much so. And that just makes it hilarious. You, you get killed, he got killed by the grandkids he tried to use as, as, as puppets to, to further his goals. Yeah. Yeah. And in a very dumb way too. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> well, great. I, I wait. If well, but if we take it back another level, well, never mind, never mind. Yeah, I, you already mentioned that. Never, but that, that's kind of uh, that that is kind of funny. There's there's just so much. It, it's it's dark comedy. Uh, there there's so much just kind of ironic comedy to John Hammond's death that I just it's it's satisfying. He's the only character in this book that I was so just. I don't want to say happy or excited or anything like that but it was almost like a relief of sorts like because it, it's one of those things to where it's like if if you didn't if you'd only seen the movie and you're reading the book kind of like what happened with me 
you're expecting Hammond to make it out because Hammond makes it out in the in the movie, but he's you know as I've said before he's a very very different character. He's all of everything that's happened at Jurassic Park in the movie has visibly shook Hammond. He had all of the best intentions. He did this for all of what he thought were the right reasons, and everything went wrong because it had to go wrong. And he's pissed at Malcolm throughout the movie because Malcolm's telling him he's going to fail, but it's not because he hates Malcolm because Malcolm is some you know, evil person that's trying to stop him from making all his money, it's because Malcolm's trying to stomp on his dreams. So it's a completely different context, that he might have the same re interactions with certain characters, but the context changes who he is in that. And so Hammond surviving in the movie is tragic, but Hammond dying in the book is karma. You yeah, know? yeah, I, I see. Yeah, I agree. It's the dichotomy of John Hammond, and that's why <laughs> you just—that's one reason why, despite not being the tightest of adaptations in terms of a one-to-one, -one, the movie still excel excels so well. Even when it diverts from the book like that, it does it in a way that you keep the heart of it but you change enough to where you get a new perspective, a different meaning on it, and it doesn't take away from the book, but it adds to the movie. That's why the movie's still phenomenal. I yeah. love it. I love I love movie John Hammond, and I love watching what happens to book John Hammond. So yeah, that's that's the end of John Hammond. It's 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 I don't want to say it's great. I don't want to glorify a man dying in a fictional book because, you know, this is all all of this is said through the through the through the lens of this is fiction and this doesn't mean anything. So any of my personal feelings or enjoyment don't reflect anything outside of within the realms of this fiction. Sure. But there is some form of catharsis. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That is exactly what I'm trying to find. There is a form of catharsis in John Hammond's fate because he's just spent the entire book just being this curmudgery old asshole that only cares about himself and the money he can make and he keeps pretending like he means more than he does and he's taking advantage of everybody he can in any way that he can and he dies like a baby. It's <laughs> it's 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 great. It's 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 poetic irony probably. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. So, in the movie, sorry, once again, uh, they, you know, they get the power back on, the problem solved, and they have their little, like, after after the fact thing, but it's them ostensibly leaving the island. Movie's over. Woohoo. Um, no, we get one final bit in the book. Because if you remember, when Grant found the egg, way, way back on the tour... Uh, it was like there's nests. We have to find the nests. So now that's back. It's like our work's not done. We have to find the raptor nests. We, and the plan now, I, I don't remember. I think Gennaro is the one that's saying that the, the Costa Rican military is going to be coming and they're going to bomb the shit out of this island. Like everything is going to get killed. I, I need to. I need to raise a nitpick here. What's up? Uh, two two nitpicks. I guess technically one. Uh, specifically that Costa Rica does not have a military and did not have a military at this time either. 
That's like a, that's like one of the things Costa Rica is famous for is for abolishing their military. And two. And number two. Oh, I, I thought I, for some reason I was expecting you have thoughts about that. But anyway, number two. Um, number two. There is no way. There is zero way um, that the United States would not be the ones carrying out this. But you you know that at least a few like. With, with as much, especially the way uh, at the time, there was a lot of like U.S. special forces that were in Latin America that were doing all kinds of shady um, things. So there, there, there's like a zero percent chance that this would be carried out by like like some sort of like U.S. special ops guys, even if there was such a thing as a uh, Costa Rican military. Sure. I, I, I think we can safely assume, because someone makes the, the inference that, I forgot who it was, that uh, the reason why it's going to take long for anything to happen anyways is because it's going to have to go through Washington first, because there's no way Costa Rica is not going to contact the U.S. about this. So, yeah. either way, I feel like the U.S. has its hand in this. They're probably directing it, even if they're not the ones that are doing it themselves they're probably still the the overlords on this operation so to say yeah that's that's fair but i don't know that was just a couple things that really stood out to me um at the end of this at the end of this book yeah but before that before they leave and before the attack happens they got to find the nest why i don't know i i really don't they gotta they gotta count the raptors i don't know what difference that makes if they're about to glass the whole island, but I I kind of had to agree with Gennaro here, to be honest with you. They were like, "No, you, it's your responsibility to clean up your mess," and it's like, "Okay, that's kind of fair. That's kind of there's a kind of logical sense to that, or and ethical logic that I can kind of trace, but at the same time, it's kind of like." But what difference does it really make anymore? Like, why are we counting this whole? Everything is about to, like, like they're saying the, the 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 military is about to come and just exterminate everything. You know? Yeah, I, I think the scene that we end up getting with the nest is worth its inclusion in the book because it's a really beautiful scene. But I do find the the reasoning to get to it very strange. I don't know why they need to count the eggs i don't it what does it matter what is it gonna do other than have grant be like yes there were 33 eggs 34 eggs this is a part where i really have to come down on grant because like as you were saying i i do agree with Gennaro too in this situation grant Grant's like, oh, he's basically saying this. all this blood's on your hands. It, uh, oh, you, you didn't make these dinosaurs, but your money did. First off, no, it was the Japanese investors' money that did. Um, but, like, his law firm, sure, they were, like, working with, and they helped create Engine and all of this, and yeah, they, they, they helped get the ball rolling, and they were enabling Hammond to do these things, but, like, they never knew the scope and when they knew the scope, they sent Gennaro there specifically to shut it down. If you remember... Granted, Grant doesn't know this. I understand. But the chapter where it's Gennaro having the meeting with the other people at the law firm, 
they're telling him they're not telling him to find out if it's safe or not and whether or not they should shut it down they're telling him to basically find proof to shut it down because they think it's a liability Gennaro's the one who's like we put a lot of money in this let's see if we can save it and they're like no let's shut it down so yeah i guess Gennaro's trying to find some way to like not he's he's kind of in the sunken cost fallacy of it but like the rest of the law firm's like no we this is too much of a liability we need to and in fairness to Gennaro, that's also his arc is coming to realize what what a terrible situation this even is and he 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 moves over to team shut it all down pretty quickly yeah and like i'm sorry who has been basically side by side with Muldoon helping take shit down like Gennaro. Gennaro. Yeah, he's been putting in the work. Like I just really dislike Grant at this at this final juncture here and even Muldoon a little bit because Muldoon agrees with him and even like threatens to to stun rod Gennaro later on. And it's it's like they're putting so much blame on him where it should really solely be on Hammond. Yes, like I said, they kind of enabled Hammond to do this, but they never knew the scope. They never knew the full realization of it. Nobody really did until they landed on the island one day prior. Not even Gennaro knew that. And yeah, his thought process at the time was, wow, we can make a lot of money out of this, but he was also ready to pull the plug as soon as shit hit the fan. He was the one that was asking Malcolm the questions, trying to get more information from Malcolm about why it's not going to work. He was the one that was like constantly trying to get all of these perspectives so that he can see it for more than just Hammond being like, oh, they're stupid, it's fine. It, he, yeah, he was asking Arnold the same thing too, asking him about the, the Malcolm effect. But, you know, he was doing his due diligence. And when, the, when it came down to it, he put his life on the line multiple times even like on, on his own will, of his own will too yeah and yeah he might have been guilted into some of it but i mean there was the when 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 they were getting ready to go deal with the raptors uh he muldoon asked us gennaro if he wanted to come and gennaro's like no i really don't think i want to and he's like all right fine go to the lodge but then gennaro he didn't guilt him into it he was like okay go to the lodge with everyone else but then gennaro decides actually you know what i don't know what i'm doing but i'm gonna help you anyways He's, 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 there may be some guilt tripping there. Maybe not. Probably not. I don't know. But Gennaro has chosen to come along every single time on his own, more or less of his own free will, with the exception of the nest bit. The nest bit is the only time he's been forced to it. And the fact that Muldoon is a part of this as well, this, this, this whole forceful thing, I think is just nuts. Because Muldoon has been the person that Gennaro has been going out of his way to help. He didn't need to go down into the maintenance shed to try and turn the power on when Arnold seemed to have failed, but he did on his own volition and almost died for it. Like, I just don't understand where Grant is coming off, sitting there putting all of this blame, putting all of this responsibility, putting all this blood on Gennaro's hands, being like, you are the cause of this. You are are coming to help me count some raptors for some weird fucking reason that I can't explain. I I got I yeah. Yeah. It's uh and it's especially like you said, it's especially weird for Muldoon to go along with this and be like instead of pointing out all those things that you you mentioned is that he's he's basically been Muldoon's partner for the back half of this book. Yeah. And Gennaro's right. He's like, "Hey, they're coming to blow this place like they're gonna destroy it they're, they're taking care of it and what 
like this is he's like you gotta take responsibility for this and he's like yeah they're coming to destroy the island we're letting them get rid of all of Hammond's work we're not trying to save it and Grant's like no you have to do this and it's like what does Gennaro do in the nest sequence he gets scared goes down with him into the nest and stops Grant from accidentally killing Ellie that's I mean, I mean granted that 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 haha granted huh. uh <laughs> that is important Gennaro being there was important for Ellie's survival but also to be fair that may not have even actually went that way with or without Gennaro it's just kind of it could have happened it could not have happened but all in all Gennaro being there doesn't make a difference because they so just to kind of go into the nest bit really quickly and we can go more into the details of why it's a really beautiful scene in a minute but I just really want to wrap up this Gennaro bit while I'm on it they, they drive out to where Ellie thinks the nest might be based on the patterns of the raptors. They put the, the baby raptor that Grant knocked out with the tranquilizer uh, where he found the golf cart behind the waterfall. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he he brought that raptor with them. Sorry, there's a detail that m- might have forgotten. He put it in the cage when they got back to the lodge. Um, but uh, Lex got friendly with it. it. It liked her. They put a, a tracking collar on it. And it's also a chameleon. That's weird that a raptor is also a chameleon but that's probably the amphibian dna that makes sense to me um and so they're following it and it it's like yeah it's in this kind of southern volcanic area where the raptor nest is they find this this hole that le- that the raptor goes into they lower a camera in there and they can hear all the chittering of the raptors and they're like yep this is it they go down into the hole and Muldoon forces Gennaro to go down in the hole with them and they go down and they find the nest. And that's where the nest is. So just to wrap up this Gennaro bit, it's just it's just insane to me. This is such a weird moment for Grant, for him to just just suddenly turn on Gennaro in such a really dickheaded way and force him along to do this what feels like a pointless side quest at this point that put their lives in more danger just so Grant can get his fulfillment of being right about the nest and seeing the nest. I, I honestly, I'm wondering if this is a selfish, professional, and personal endeavor for Grant to have a chance of seeing a raptor nest in about as close of a natural environment as they can get in the modern world. You might be right. Because, I mean, there's, there's I, I, I don't remember who says this to him it might be ellie says to gennaro um when grant goes into the hole to the nest uh this is something that he has spent his entire life like uh, this is his lifelong dream ostensibly he has thought about this moment for his entire life and she's like is there something that you've ever felt this strongly about that you've built your entire life up to and his he's like no there hasn't and it's it makes it feel a little more of like a selfish act from Grant that everyone else is just like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And then Gennaro's the only person that's like, but the bombs are coming. We should be more concerned about the bombs. And they're like, no, nest. Now, nest. I gotta say, justice for Gennaro. This is, we're, we're, we're not just raptor-pilled here. We, we're Gennaro-pilled now. Yeah, it's 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 a strange moment to where I'm 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 fully on the fuck Alan Grant train. Like, 
he's an asshole in this situation. He's in the wrong. Ellie's in the wrong. Muldoon's in the wrong. They are wrong. He, he has three really weird moments. Um, one, the uh, the the dinosaurs are are the parents thing. That was really weird. Two was him getting weird with the raptor in the in the uh, nursery. And three is here. It's like three are just really like head scratcher moments from like from uh, Doctor Grant. Yeah, I I still think he's one of the best characters in the book and. I, I don't want to take away from that, but it's just, it's such a weird thing to happen right here at the end of the book. Just this absolute dickheaded thing that happens. But yeah, I, I, I'm fully behind Gennaro at this point. He's redeemed himself. He's probably going to go home and still be that skeezy lawyer who doesn't go to his, uh, his daughter, his daughter's birthday or his son's birthday. I don't remember. I think you said it was his daughter whenever I said it. I think you corrected me to daughter. Okay, I, I don't remember at this point, but he'll probably also miss his next daughter's birthday, and he'll be doing skeezy things at his law firm. But you know what? He showed what kind of person he is under pressure and in, in, in a dangerous, life-threatening environment over these two days at Jurassic Park. So for that, I've got respect for Gennaro. I've got respect for Muldoon and Grant and Ellie and Malcolm as well. But for someone it's expected for those characters they these are the quote-unquote heroes of the novel but i really do i'm not trying to sound like some sort of contrarian or throwing out these like crazy weird ideas that just to be different i do think gennaro is the unsung hero of jurassic park he's not the main hero i mean grant just 1v3 raptors and saved the kids from a t-rex that's that's pretty big muldoon did muldoon things and is the coolest fucking character in this book like you can't understate these characters and their importance but if you look at Gennaro's role in this book at first he's just the scuzzy lawyer that's just there to also make money with 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 uh, Hammond but he he it's the little things he plays he plays pickle with uh with Lex at while they're at the one of the I think it's the the, the triceratops or no the six the yeah. six the six stegosaurus or whatever he he, mm-hmm. he takes that time to play play with Lex which I think is about around on his daughter's birthday. That's 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 something. I don't know if that's intended, but hey, that's that's something. Um, he chooses to stay with with Ellie and Harding with the Stegosaurus, the six Stegosaurus, and works with them to see like what's going on with that deal. He goes with Muldoon every single opportunity he can, and is one of the reasons why Muldoon survives this book. Let's let's not mince words here. Muldoon dies in the movie because Gennaro got eaten on the toilet. He got Ed Regis. Justice for Gennaro, Steven Spielberg. You Ed Regis Gennaro. <laughs> when you gotta Don't go, Ed you gotta Regis go. Don't Ed Regis my Gennaro. <laughs> exactly. It's it's a it's a it's a crime. It's the it's the biggest crime that Steven Spielberg has ever committed. So yeah, Muldoon died because he didn't have his Gennaro by his side. I. And and also uh, he 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 stopped the uh, the raptor infestation of of Central America by by getting on the radio and. And uh, using the right lingo to to dissuade uh, the the I guess the the captain from disembarking the boat. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just end that with a well and move on. Well, as far as they know, as far as they know, at the point of the book. So yeah, I I think Gennaro is one of the unsung heroes of Jurassic Park. He's not the he's not he's not gonna overcome Grant and Muldoon. Don't get me wrong. Grant and Muldoon are still the people that put this 
this crisis on their back and brought it across the finish line. But every quarterback needs a very strong offensive line. And Gennaro was the offensive line. I, I'm trying to keep this football analogy to make sense. Uh, Grant was the quarterback and Muldoon was the receiver and they made it to the end zone. But Gennaro was that offensive line. If that makes sense, that probably is ridiculously stupid, but that's par for the course for this episode. Well, it, it makes sense within the context of him, you know, essentially protecting Muldoon. Yeah, so maybe Muldoon's the quarterback in this scenario, yeah. and Grant is the receiver. I don't know. Point being, yeah, Gennaro is such a great character. I love him. He's he is one of my favorite characters in this book. He's so throwaway in the movie because he's he takes the place of Ed Regis. But in the book, he is one of the best characters. He has a great character arc. Your expectation of him, especially if you've seen the movie first, gets completely flipped. And by the end of the book, if you don't like Gennaro and if you're agreeing with Grant on the nest thing, fuck you. You're wrong. Oh, Gennaro rocks. Strong words. I mean him, Justice, dude. Justice in in conclusion, Justice for Gennaro. Yeah. So, anyways, the nest. They're down in the nest. There's a bunch of it's it's a colony of raptors. It's insane. Uh, Grant ends up counting it's about really thirty-four. Cool. It it gives me um, alien vibes a little bit, but in a cute way. Yeah. Probably probably get to. I was just about to say it reminded me, but not quite as terrifyingly, though still absolutely terrifying as that scene from Alien Isolation when you go down into the what's like the engine rooms or whatever and you just see the yeah. colony of aliens after you thought oh. that you just killed the one alien that's been stalking you for the entire game up to that point and you see that there's actually hundreds and you're just like holy shit. Talk that about That was yeah. We're talking about one of the greatest reveals in a horror game. Like, holy shit, dude. That scene. You and I, we played this together, you and I. Uh, you had already mm -hmm. played it. You were you were basically sitting with me as I was playing through it the first time. And that moment for me was the the best part of that game, in my opinion. It was As I say it, it's when we went from alien to aliens in that game. And it handles it so well. And it, it, it's, it reminds me of that. Except nowhere near as threatening. But they've yeah. come they've come packed with some gas masks and some nerve gas grenades that they found that Tim found in some store unmarked storage unit that Arnold might or might not have known about, but probably not. But Hammond definitely knew about, and it had these 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 nerve weapons in it. So they have the gas masks, they have these grenades just in case, and they're down there in the they're just watching the the they're watching the herd. They're 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 trying to like keep track of their social patterns. And something they notice is that every now and then something will happen and they'll all stand in a line and look the same, like one of two directions that are uh, opposites. And so Gennaro's like, oh, wow, I never thought I'd need to use this, but this watch my wife got me for my birthday has a compass on it. And he's looking and it's like, yeah, they're looking either, I think it's northwest or southeast or it's, it's northeast and southwest. It's one of those two. Forgive me. But they're looking either... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say northeast, southwest. If I'm wrong, excuse me. Uh, so they're all looking either to the northeast or to the southwest. So they're looking in a straight line in two opposite directions every single time this happens. And they're like, that's strange. And they're trying to figure out what, what's going on with that. And something happens, and it causes all the raptors to dash out of the cavern. And they follow them, and it takes them out to the beach. And all the raptors are standing there looking out past the beach. And... Grant has this this epiphany to it 
of why they're doing this because he's he's reminded of like birds doing this and he has the realization that it's not that the raptors are wanting to leave the island it's that they're wanting to migrate and it's it's a really beautiful scene the entire nest sequence is fantastic i love it once again it's not the inclusion in the book that i that that i have issue with it's the reason for it being in the book that i have the issue with there could have been i i just i think this is grant trying to fulfill some personal thing i'm glad it's in the book because it's such a beautiful sequence as i said and it's it's right here this happened all of this happens in the final like 15 pages of the book it happens really quick um but yeah the issues with the whole thing in Gennaro aside it is a really beautiful scene they're staring at these raptors who don't really pay any attention to them it's them ostensibly being david attenborough watching these creatures in their quote-unquote natural habitat and grant has the realization that they're just they're like birds they're trying they have their that innate instinct of migration and they're staring out on the beach into the distance with that willful want that instinctual need to migrate but they can't do it because they're trapped on this island and it's honestly tragic especially since you know what's coming for them their fate it's tragic yeah. It's kind of made a little more tragic because, uh, like, here, because um, the way that they show them, when they're not attacking people, obviously, or, or like, they show their, their sort of, like, life in the nest. And honestly, like I said, when I was saying, like, alien isolation, but kind of cute, and I, I, I meant that. that. Like, they were, if you read these descriptions, they're, like, very cute. Like, these little, they're running around, the, the juveniles are running around and playing with each other. And like the adults are caring for the young, and and uh, also this there's like this one. Um, uh, let me find it here. Um, At that moment, a juvenile raptor came up to Ellie and rubbed his head against her leg. She looked down and saw the leather collar with a black box. It was damp in one place, and it had chafed the skin of the young animal's neck. The juvenile whimpered. Uh, in in the big room, one of the adults turned curiously towards the sound. And then she's asked, "Can I take it off? Should we take it off?" And then, and then um, they 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 agree to do it. And uh, then it says, uh, "The adults snorted, bobbed their heads." Ellie petted the little juvenile, trying to soothe it, to silence its whimpering. She moved her hand towards the leather collar, lifted back the Velcro tab with a tearing sound. Um, and then, essentially, eh, I'm just gonna keep going. Uh, oh, that's when the the. Uh, the grenade incident was anyway the, the the point is the 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 raptor is very cute it's asking her for help you know it's it's intelligent enough to know that she can do something about it and is grateful to her later it's just it's just, i don't know there there is it gives me a sort of sadness a little bit to see you know like you're saying when knowing their fate that they're just about to get like napalmed and you know destroyed and all that it's, it's just there's you just you really see like you know these are just creatures there's not really a a malice to them per se it's just they're in a, in another in another sense they too are victims of uh hammond's hubris yeah and it goes back to what you said earlier about having sympathies towards the raptors and when i said i i, I hinted towards this i said i have no sympathies for the eight main raptors 
but I do have sympathy for the Raptors. This is what I'm talking about. It's it's these Raptors. And it's like, yeah, if they would have seen any of them, they would have treated them the exact same way as the other eight did. It really comes down to a difference of context and perspective in this in, but it's the same it's the same animals all the same as the as the eight raptors that we watch them systematically kill after they killed a lot of them in the same way but it's just it's it's the difference of seeing them as predators as seeing them as killing machines as opposed to seeing them as they lived as they interacted as a commune and that's really what kind of is the difference maker to where you can and it's the same thing with the t-rex when the t-rex was knocked out by the uh the trank the trank and tim's looking over at it asleep and lex is sitting there like i hope he dies and tim's like i don't he's looking at it as as something more than just this creature that's been chasing them and trying to eat them for the last few hours he sees it as this 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 living thing that is only doing what it knows what it's essentially been programmed to do not not so much so from the whole dr wu genetic side of things but programmed to do as a tyrannosaurus rex it's instinct it's it's natural calling it, it's not an intelligent creature it is a creature that does what it knows and that's the tragedy of it that even tim sees in the t-rex after mm -hmm. it almost ate him a minute ago and that's that's yeah. that's that's some maturity in Tim. Now Tim's a really good character too. Yeah. So we see a similar thing with the Raptors in the nest, and it's it's a very powerful scene. I think it really kind of hammers home the the tragedy of Jurassic Park. Um. Yeah. It's 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 a story of the hubris of man trying to play God and create things that don't belong. And watching how those things that don't belong are, one, dangerous, but two, there's a beauty in that danger of how these creatures were real. They lived. They existed. They, you know, they died. They, they were a piece of this earth, a piece of the history of this earth, and they matter just as much as we do to that history of the earth. Maybe I'm looking more into this than I probably should. But there really is a beauty to that. There's there's a lot to, to really kind of take from this to see them as more than just killing machines. Yeah. Well, it's it's exactly what I said. They, they and what you said with the T-Rex, they're only acting as they know how to do. Like, there's, you know, they, they in a certain extent, are, are, are also victims of Hammond. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I was about to say. Is all the humans that have died in the last couple of days, and even before that, the, con the quote-unquote construction accidents that have caused some fatalities, all of those people have have uh, their uh, their blood is on John Hammond's hands, and you could say the exact same thing about the. It's more than two hundred and ninety-two because I don't think any I don't think a lot of those raptors are, are counted on the system. The three hundred plus dinosaurs that were killed in Jurassic Park. Their blood is also on John Hammond's hands. They are just as much victims of John Hammond as the people on the island that were killed by the dinosaurs. Even the raptors, even the T-Rex. Yeah. I would say, uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why this book is so fucking good. It, for lack of a better term, it humanized the dinosaurs. Yeah, that was one of the, one of the great... Um, you were talking about uh, Crichton as a character... Are writing characters, and I think like he—that's 
that's something that I we've talked about earlier, but I, I just want to like link those two ideas is like, you know, his what his strength is writing characters. He does a great job of characterizing the dinosaurs, and as such, you know, he gives them a, a real a real pathos, a real like you like you're saying you 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 feel there is there is a tragedy in in their existence, you know. Yeah, the, the, this is not a happy ending. The The end of this book, it's not the hero's triumph and they escape the dangers and they, they slayed the dragon, they rescued the princess and they go off and live happily ever after. No, the heroes, quote unquote, they survived the dangers, sure. And the evil madman was slayed by his own creation. Dr. Frankenstein was killed by the monster in the end. But just like in Frankenstein, the monster itself wasn't really a monster it was a monster of the situation that it was brought into but it wasn't truly a monster that's you know there's the same questions asked in frankenstein it, you can pull the similarities from it maybe i'm reaching but i'm i'm i'm, done, no, I'm gonna i'm gonna, no, no, I'm gonna no, reach you're, anyways you're on it you're on to something yeah it's it's the same thing the the dinosaur like the the analogy here is jurassic park is frankenstein's monster and john hammond is dr frankenstein that's that's really what it is and the end at the end of doc uh, at the end of frankenstein mary shelley's frankenstein you get that with Frankenstein's death, the monster coming onto the show. I'm sorry, spoilers for Frankenstein, by the way. Um, <laughs> spoilers for a 200-plus-year-old book. Yeah, you know, Frankenstein has died on the ship from the, the, the crew that are sailing to the, was the North Pole or something like that? And the monster has come on the ship. He visits the, the dude who Frankenstein told the whole story to. And he's basically, you know, he's, he's crying over Frankenstein's body, basically being like, woe is me. I, I did this to myself. My, my, I, I'm no better than Frankenstein. I did this... Uh, I, I brought this man to his death. Now my life has no meaning. And, you know, that's the tragedy of the story of Frankenstein. And uh, it's, you know, you can you can pull the exact same things out of that for John Hammond and, uh, and uh, the dinosaurs. But I don't know. I, I guess it, in terms of the Frankenstein analogy, I think it's up for interpretation on whether or not you think Frank... Because, you know, there, there's the whole, oh, it was actually Frankenstein who was the monster... Uh, the whole time and the monster was the victim uh, despite the fact that the monster killed a lot of people a lot of innocent people uh, well, not a lot like five or like three or four or five I don't remember the exact number more than one and they were all innocent people the monster is a monster in his own way but he was the monster that Frankenstein created I'm going off on a weird tangent about Frankenstein right now it's a very very good story everyone should read Frankenstein um, salt that one away I have an idea for that one but keep going I'm sorry, spoilers, if you haven't read Frankenstein either, Daniel. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, to pull it back, they're, they're definitely uh, no. Okay, oh, you know, you know what? I, I'm, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really lay. I'm yeah. Frankenstein. There is the interpretation that he was the monster in the end, and the monster was forced to be a monster because of Frankenstein. And you can pull that exact same thing with John Hammond and the dinosaurs. So yes, 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 I am making this work. Um, John Hammond was the monster. He created these monsters quote unquote and they committed these atrocities on these innocent people still all the same but they are the monsters of his own creation and by that he created a monster in well he didn't create the monster in himself he revealed the monster in himself that had always been there so yes Jurassic Park is just a retelling of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein boom which is also a prequel to Leviathan Wakes <laughs> it all comes back around <laughs> The extended uh, uh, Mary Shelley uh, cinematic universe. Yeah, but no, it's you know that that's why this book is so fucking good. 
you can you can pull these things to it. I just I just related it to Frankenstein, and I I do feel like it worked. We related it to Alien Isolation, a video game that came out in 2014. Like this book is so good. Ah, Michael Crichton did such a great job with it. There's so much you can take from it. It's so beautifully written. It's it's such a beautiful story. It's 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 a tragedy at the end of the day. Out, even more outside of the people that died. The dinosaurs are part of the tragedy. When they leave the island, so let's really wrap this up. So they're sitting there watching the watching them. He figures out that oh, they just want to migrate, and then the helicopters come in, and Muldoon got picked up by a helicopter outside the nest, I guess, at some point. I don't know. He's on the helicopter now. And the helicopters come in, and they're like, get on, get on, get on. We're, we're, we're doing the bombing now. We're doing the bombing now. They've picked up everybody. They're the last three that need to be picked up. So, Gennaro survived. Woo! Um, they, they're, they're leaving the island, and they're looking back. Grant's looking back, and he's seeing the bombardment. He's seeing the, the, the red haze of the explosions through the fog as Jurassic Park is being destroyed. And it's right there. It's it. He realizes that all of these things that he still hasn't seen, that he'll never see, and it's the true tragedy of Jurassic Park, is that we got to see, even just for a day, a man-made microcosm of what life might have been like 65 million years ago, and just like that, just as easily as those creatures were made, they were destroyed by man. And that's the tragedy of Jurassic Park, and it's so fucking good. Ah, I love this book. That's not the it's end. Very we, have, good. we we just have the epilogue now, where it's basically they they everyone's been held. Um, I guess they recovered Hammond's body. Uh, Muldoon. They ask about about Malcolm, and Muldoon shakes his head because he asks, "Oh, they got Harding. Yeah, they get they get Malcolm. Is Malcolm fine?" Muldoon shakes his head. So Malcolm, quote unquote, dies. Malcolm technically dies in this book. But because of, I guess, the popularity of his character in the film, because Jeff Goldblum fucking rules, and because Spielberg wanted to make another movie and Crichton had to write The Lost World to go tie in with the movie, and he wanted to bring in Jeff Goldblum again to be the main character of The Lost World, Michael Crichton had to retcon uh, Ian Malcolm's death in the book, which I feel like there are some ways you can get it. it it's done in such a way... Like, all Grant does is ask him about Malcolm, and all Muldoon does is shake his head. And the only other mention we get is, in the final, in the epilogue, Grant mentions that they won't they won't even let them bury the corpses of Hammond and Malcolm. And that's all we really I just, get. I just want to want to throw out here, um, do you want to know how, how uh, uh, Ian Malcolm survived? Chaos? Because life uh, finds a way. Yeah, so I don't think it's too crazy. <laughs> I, you had to make no. it. You had to make it fit somewhere. Yeah, I I don't think it's too crazy to to believe that Muldoon thought that Malcolm was dead because he was told that because he's Malcolm's been in a coma at this point. He slips into a coma, so them thinking that they're taking a corpse as opposed to someone in a coma is not that crazy to think of. Them thinking, them telling Muldoon that they thought he was a corpse is not that crazy. So Muldoon telling Grant that he's dead when he's not is not that crazy. And Grant sitting there being, so they they they're being held at ostensibly a hotel because the U.S. has taken control of the situation and they're not letting them leave because they're trying to get to the bottom of what happened. Grant's being interrogated about his his ties to to um to Hammond 
and they're all essentially trapped there. The kids are probably going to get sent home because they're just kids, and they really don't. They they were just puppets of of Hammonds. They don't really have anything to do with this. So the kids will probably get sent back. We get me back up with good old Marty Gutierrez, the guy that discovered the compi, uh, or not, not discovered, but the guy that did that that sent it off to to New York or Boston or where I think it was Boston. I, I don't remember the place at the beginning with the chick uh, whose name I've also forgotten again. Who calls up Doctor Grant? She's like, Yo, who, who whose kid drew the dinosaur? Um. Anyways, Marty comes up to Grant, and he's just like, hey, I'm Gutierrez, and Grant's like, you're the guy that with the compi, and he's like, yup, and he's like, can we leave, and he's like, nope, we're all trapped here, the end, um, there's, there's more to it than that, but it's really not super, super, Daniel, if you want to get into it, that's fine, I, I, by all means, um, but to no, wrap that, up that's compi, basic, then, that's basically it, it's yeah. like, they're, they, they know, they, there's, um, uh, they just kind of imply that there's a lot of, um, a lot of red there's tape, the, yeah, red tape and um, a lot of confusion about what happened, um, and that, and it kind of like not exactly like they don't they're not like explicit about it, but it kind of like seeds like this idea like yes they wiped out the dinosaurs, but the the uh, the, the the known uh, compi you know they 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 were tracked they tracked I don't I don't remember exactly how oh, that's but right. they tracked like a group of the compies. Um, they they migrated from the shore, like the area where they had been active, and into the into the forests uh, and the, the jungles, and, and they they cannot find them, and uh, they're they are certain that they will not be able to. So it's 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 essentially the beginning of, um, from a certain standpoint, a a certain ecological disaster. Well, here's my question: Was he talking about the compies? Because he mentioned that uh, they there were trackings of, of things that they couldn't really know moving southwest. Which, if you remember, is the direction that the raptors were facing in the in the nest. Hmm. So that is a, that is a very very good point that I didn't even think about. That I didn't connect until this moment. My take was that it's raptors that were tra- that were migrating. So take this. I how think you no. Will. I think you're exactly. I think you're exactly correct. Take this how you will. Maybe there's a small amount of a happy ending here that some piece of the raptors got to serve. This is a morbid happy ending. Some piece of the raptors actually survived Jurassic Park because they got off the island before. And they're now fulfilling that instinctual need of the pack that's that died on Jurassic Park and are getting that migration. They are they are fulfilling that instinctual need that none of the others got to live to do. And that and if that's what it is, that's a very happy ending for the Raptors. That's a very not happy ending for anybody in the area because they're going to get killed by some raptors that they may not be able to control and that might be that yeah as you said might become an ecological disaster um but in the beauty of the nest we might possibly get an equally beautiful if not terrifying ending for that with the raptors that have now possibly been migrating southwest yeah or southeast whichever one ended up being i don't remember that that's a good point. I didn't I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So that that was my take was it wasn't the compies. It was actually some raptors that actually did get off the island. 
Maybe we will find out in uh, The Lost World whenever we get to that. I don't think I've said this yet, but this book is really good. It, it was it was phenomenal. Um, but to wrap up Ian Malcolm really quickly. Um, so, yeah, since Grant was basically told by Muldoon that Malcolm was dead because Muldoon was told by someone else that Malcolm was dead, it, I don't think it's really crazy. I highly doubt Grant was shown the corpse of Ian Malcolm. He was just told that they can't bury the corpse of Ian Malcolm. It wouldn't surprise me at all if whoever was running this didn't really think it was pertinent to tell Mal uh, to tell Grant that Malcolm actually is alive, is in a coma still, and is being medically treated. Because it's not really important, because that's not really what they're there for. They just want Grant for his information on him. And so it is a retcon. Michael Crichton fully 100% killed off Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. But to say that it's a crazy leap in logic for Ian Malcolm to have survived based on the book itself to be in the Lost World, I don't think it's that crazy. We're just we're going off of information that's being told to the characters. It does not have to be reliable. Yes, his blood went septic, but he was on antibiotics. They were saying he had to get help or else he would die. It's not crazy to think that he could have survived. It really isn't. Yeah, I was going to say, as far as retcons go, this is, uh, this is a... A very palatable one. Yeah. So I will. I I'm okay with with reading into this as Ian Malcolm did not die at Jurassic Park. Because he did not canonically, even though as far as 1990 was concerned, he did. Right. But that's Jurassic Park. That's it. Um, Daniel, we're hitting real close to three hours recording. This is going to be by far our longest episode we've ever done. Yeah. Do you wanna Do you wanna get some final thoughts on on this on this mammoth of a book? So, final thoughts. Um, well, I would say basically, possibly as a result of our as our conversation here, which I've quite enjoyed, and I hope uh, you all have as well. I I think this may be my favorite of the books we've read, um, and I, I I'm going to um, give an apology, in fact, to Mikey Kreitz um, of saying that he is not a very literary author. Um, I, I think Dusty made a very strong case um, for for a lot of uh, you know there's a very strong literary some stronger literary elements and themes that run in through this book and um, just great great book very fun um, you know there's some there's some things that probably haven't aged as well um, and there's some things that uh, I think. Crichton probably would expound on later that were, are not so good, like this idea of like this sort of, uh, I don't know what to call it, eco-nihilism and climate change denialism kind of situation. Not so good, but outside of that, um, you know, I I think it's a really good book. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun and uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on, a lot of interesting ideas. I think... Um, over the course of this discussion, it may be my favorite book of the ones that we've covered on uh, Sad Boys Book Club. Yeah, it's and you know it's one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this with you in the first place is having that sit down, having that conversation where we can talk about the book and do more than just look at the words on the page, close the book, and call it a day. We can get these these discussions going to where we might actually find more to it. Because I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you. I, I did think that the raptor scene in the nest was beautiful, but a lot of my conjecture, a lot of the, 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 the things that I was saying to, in this today were very off the cuff. And I don't think it's something that I would have gone as deep into, even so much so as pulling out the Mary Shelley thing 
with Hammond and the dinosaurs or the tragedy of Jurassic Park as a whole, I don't think I would have come to that without this conversation. So it's that it's adding that extra level of discussion of, of intuiting into the book itself more so than just reading it and calling it a day. And maybe that's why they want you to write papers on books in school, in high school, in college, and whatnot. Maybe that's why. So you can you can get these these deeper meanings, these deeper feelings for the book out of it. You can you can bleed that rock dry instead of just reading that last page, shutting the book, and thinking, damn, that was a good book, and then putting it on your shelf and never thinking of it again. So it's 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 the that's why I love these discussions so much. That's why I'm still doing this. It's why I want to keep doing this, even though editing these is a nightmare. It's not hard. It's just it's time consuming, and I have, I have a busy life as it is. Uh, that you know the editing is it, it it it's not fun all the time. Sometimes it's fine. Sometimes it's awful. But it's 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 worth it. So I can have these discussions. So that I can have this time spent with you where we talk about these books that we've read even if they're not always the best books though i don't think we've read a bad book yet personally but you knows we might eventually i, I don't know it's it's I, I feel like i'm kind of i'm kind of meandering here but it, that's the thing that i really love about it is it, it allows us to really find these deeper meanings to look at the book more than just what it is on the surface to try and de dig down and find some deeper meaning to it that may or may not have been intentional by the author and I, this is a great example of it this book is because on the surface it's a really fun sci-fi novel about dinosaurs in the in the 20th century but looking at it more we find these these like deeper meanings to it that once again may or may not have been author intended but it's it's i don't think that matters i don't think the author's intention truly matters once the book has been written, once the book has been published, if Michael Crichton wrote this book purely, I don't think he did for the record, but if for some reason Michael Crichton was like, I don't know, I just like dinosaurs and shit, so I just wrote this book and that's that, that might have been his purpose for Jurassic Park, that might have been what he got out of Jurassic Park, but that's not what Jurassic Park is. It's what it is for him, but what Jurassic Park is for Michael Crichton, what Jurassic Park is for you, what Jurassic Park was for Steven Spielberg, or whatever, those are all just as legitimate as what my Jurassic Park was for me, even if there's differing takeaways from it. That's why I think author intent doesn't always matter at the end of the day. It matters for the author, and that's it. Dusty really said death of the author. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. That, the, the, that's, really, yeah, that's literally uh, a literary uh, analysis theory of, death of the author <laughs> I'm, I'm fully aware of it I, 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 I'm just saying it in so many more words and that's, that's, fair. that's not me saying that the author's intent doesn't matter full on I'm just my point is that if your takeaway differs from the author's intent that does not delegitimize your takeaway it does not delegitimize the author either but it does not mean that you're wrong what you take from the book what you infer from the book what you put what extra meaning you add to the book to increase your enjoyment is more important to you than what the author says the book is for you. It's all personal. Yeah. And every person's um, opinion is just as important on, on it as anyone else's, including the author's. That's my point on that. Well, most, most people's opinion. There's some really dumb people out there. Sure. Uh, a, a good faith <laughs> opinion. Uh, an opinion that actually put forth the effort to try and, like, 
like g give the book a fair shot and try and get a fair opinion on the book. Like yeah, if if someone comes and is like dinosaurs are cool and John Hamm is bad and dinosaurs are bad and dinosaurs die and Alan Grant is cool, then like you know that's that's just a it's a surface level, and that's fine, but it's surface level. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it was been, this has been really good. Um, I, I think you, you hit on some interesting stuff there. Um, that you could say that this does kind of have a uh, shares a lineage uh, with Shelley, and I would say goes back all the way to ancient Greece. Like this idea of like the hamartia, you know, the the fatal flaw, the the um, what do you call it, the hubris of ha of, of man. You know, really, this is we're dealing with some like classical themes that like go all the way back to the beginning of storytelling, and it's it's you can see that it's um and that there's something kind of uh, poetic about that in the sense that this is about like dinosaurs and the dinosaurs are like you know their 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 lineage within the world with like the, like avians and I I don't know there's there's something kind of interesting about that idea as well. Is like it, it just about it how it exists in this um, in the broader literary canon that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's one of those things to where it's like uh, it, it shares a lot of themes and a lot of archetypes with a lot of other books that have existed, a lot of the stories that have existed throughout the history of mankind. But the important thing is not so much because you know there's a lot of common themes in a lot of books, and that does not make those books unoriginal, like the hero's journey uh, being one of the more common ones. And it's it's not their use that makes a story unoriginal. It's their it's their execution that determines whether or not a book is original. And I do think that while Jurassic Park carries these similar themes, these similar structures to something like uh, to like Frankenstein, it's it, it's how it's used. It's how the characters interact in this world. How these themes are are personified. How they are explained. How how everything moves. That's what makes it original. And that's why we can draw these these parallels and have an equal appreciation for both works and see them both as like this is not a plagiarism of anything certainly not. Uh, rather it's not a plagiarism of the things that i've used for all i know michael Crichton stole it i don't think he did but this could have been a plagiarism but not from anything that i'm saying yeah but, it's just i don't know I, I i agree i think there's it's it's a surprisingly beautiful work. Uh, I think a lot of times, um, maybe not entirely unfairly, there's kind of a uh, a, a certain bias against um, like sci-fi and that kind of stuff. But I, I think I think this one, this book in particular, among others, I'm sure, obviously. But like since we're talking about this one, this book has um, you know, it's and. It shows. It shows a, 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 a real. There's a lot of beauty and, and meaning to be gleaned from this book, uh, that may not be readily apparent. Um, you know, if you're just you're just thinking about these things, just in you know, but without um, you know, without re really reflecting on them. Yeah. So I, I guess to to stop talking about literary politics surrounding the book and more about the book itself, yeah, I, I love this book. It's 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 one of my all time favorites. I loved it the first time I heard. It. I listened to the audiobook, and uh, I loved it again. Arguably, not no not even arguably, absolutely more so than I did the first time when I listened to the audiobook. 
it's it's a great book. It's it's you can get so much out of it, and it's it's more than just man created dinosaurs and man destroyed dinosaurs after dinosaurs destroyed some men. It's it's more than that. So I I don't know. I I adore this book, um, because I have to say it. I feel like I I, I this is basically what I'm good for at this point. Um, I still think I like Leviathan Wakes more because everything has to go back to Leviathan Wakes for me because uh, that I guess that's my, my 10 out of 10 gold standard for the the, 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 the podcast now um, so yeah I would technically be giving this book a 9 out of 10 for me it's not perfect though neither was Leviathan Wakes despite me giving it a 10 out of 10 uh, it's not perfect uh, but it's it excels so well at what it does that it being it not being perfect is more of a boon for it than a hindrance and i don't like doing half percents i don't like doing i I, you know i obviously i'm not using a scale of 100 so i'm not going to give it like a 94 or 97 or 92 i don't like those metrics because how, how do you quantify that it's just for me it's just a strange thing but if i had to really really try and dig down deep into the nitty-gritty of the well where does it rank on the scale of a nine um i would say it's closer to a 10 than it is to an eight it's definitely in between a nine and a 10 but i don't like doing that i like once again it's how do you quantify that so i'm going to stick to a nine with it but it really is closer to a 10 but not enough for me to push it over that line if, I guess if we're That's doing fair. if we're doing the rounding thing, you know, you're holding a balloon, you let go of all five fingers, the balloon leaves your hand, so you round up instead of rounding down. I don't know if any other kid got that for the rounding lesson in like first grade. Uh, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't released all fingers from the balloon yet to give it that ten. But yeah, so it's a nine out of ten for me. I love this book. Everyone should read this book. Everyone should read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, even if you can't get get past the language of it because it's it's an old book and the language of it is very strange and very of its time of the 19th century it's an important book it's a very important piece of literature it's a very important piece of uh of women's history and literature uh everyone should read mary shelley's frankenstein everybody should read michael Crichton's jurassic park yeah uh (laughs) i think objectively speaking well, no, I can't say that objectively. That's such a bold claim to make. Uh, based on my personal opinion of the books that we've read, despite Leviathan Wakes being my favorite book that we've read so far on this, I would say as of now, I think Jurassic Park is the best book we've read. Even though it's not my favorite, it's a very, very easy second, very close second, I do think Jurassic Park is the best book we've read on this. Wow. Uh, that's that's big uh, big claim. The only thing I would think would come close would be, honestly, the road. My personal enjoyment of Leviathan Wakes is because it really hits that that niche for me. It just really checks mm-hmm. off all those boxes for what I love in a story. Uh, so that's why I have it so high personally, and why it's my favorite personally. But if I if I want to look at it as a more like as a book, as a novel, as what it means, I think Jurassic Park is our number one so far probably followed by the road and then maybe distantly the stranger in terms of importance for literature oh wow big words from dusty here yeah 
I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like the last hour here, the last hour we've spent doing this, this is long. This is a long video. Uh, it'll, it will be probably cut in half. Um, I feel like the last hour here is is proof enough of that. Like the road had so much to it in terms of what it meant for humanity and what it meant for what it means to to have that that human spirit, the survival of it, that the goodness of humanity in the, in a world full of black and bad. Um, uh, and with the stranger of what it what it what it is to be a person, what it means to be an individual, what it means to be an outcast. Um, which, by the way, Daniel, I've talked to you about the uh, about a little bit of this. And I, I um, the the new Avenged Sevenfold album that you know I've I've shown mm -hmm. you a little bit of. Uh, the the yeah. lead single on it, Nobody, is inspired by the Stranger. Fun fact. I need to go. I need to check that out then. Um, interesting that that. Um continues to inspire uh, a lot of music yeah so yeah i feel like for literary importance i feel like a a, a, a professor or somebody that's more um uh, more learned than i would probably scoff at me saying jurassic park is more important to literature than the stranger or the road and you know what they're probably right i'm just going off of what i know and i don't know i think the beauty of jurassic park even if it is a story about dinosaurs for me personally, transcends the spirit of the road or the inhumanity of the stranger. That's just well, my opinion. House of Leaves is I just think... fucking weird. <laughs> I, well, I, I'll just I'll just say you know, like you said, you're uh, with your um, what you were talking about with like the idea of the death of the author. I guess you know there is a certain truth to that in the sense of like you know. It, it, it may be to you this is more meaningful and there's and and uh who's to say that's wrong i suppose yeah that's why i i, I changed it from saying I, I can't say this objectively because there, there's no way for me to actually put such a bold claim on that so i don't i do not mean this objectively i mean this as subjectively as i can through my perspective of important literature the dinosaur books good read it dino's good uh justice for gennaro um take the raptor pill yeah and the, that'll uh, do it for sad boys book club everybody yeah the t-rex reminds me of the parents i never had <laughs> dad dad I, i'm trying to figure out some sort of like daddy issues t-rex joke but i can't it's it's not coming <laughs> yeah uh thank you oh. everybody this has been the sad boys book club this has been jurassic park i'm sad now well, don't be too sad because we will uh, be re rejoining you all hopefully in the near future for yet another book. But uh, you know, thank you everybody for coming with us on this one. I know it's uh, probably a little bit longer than we expected, but uh, thank you for everybody, and uh, we will see you all next time. I feel like the raptor standing at the beach, looking off in the distance as the <laughs> as the helicopter flies away. But the helicopter is this book, and I finished the book, and it's now leaving me. It's going back on my shelf, and I'm that raptor with that longing to migrate. But all I can do is just sit there and watch this book fly away because there's nothing more it can do for me. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Take care. See you next time.